up by the end of the month. We have spent a considerable amount of time in introduction of spiritual gifts and explaining uh, their definition, what they are. And then we have spent the last few weeks looking specifically at the temporary gifts and especially the gift of tongues. A much misunderstood uh, gift uh, that uh, we believe is temporary and is not functioning today. And we've gone through the reasons why. I won't go back and rehearse all of that. I want to move on to some of the other spiritual gifts and look at them. And then, uh, Lord willing, if it all works out, on the 27th, we will take a little bit of a spiritual gift quiz. And not that I am going to ask for some miraculous gift to be able to discern (laughs) and call out all of you and your spiritual gifts, but a way for us to kind of evaluate uh, our uh, spiritual lives, our lives, and kind of assess uh, maybe... Uh, you've done something like this before, maybe not. Um, I wish that I had done something like that and had a little bit more teaching on spiritual gifts before I even went to college. I really did not get into a deep study on spiritual gifts. And though I understood a little bit about the gift of tongues because we had uh, a friend uh, who believed very strongly in the gift of tongues, so I had done a little bit of study But it really wasn't until I got into Bible college and then seminary that I really did a deep dive into spiritual gifts. And I wish I had known more uh, growing up. Obviously, God had uh, called me to the ministry and to preach. And I knew I had that gift and that calling of the Lord. But uh, it was later, as I matured in my faith and uh, even into the ministry, I began to realize uh, some things that, that, that God was showing me. And then Pastor Arrowwood did a whole series on spiritual gifts at our former ministry. And that helped me tremendously and really began to see some things differently and helping recognize uh, our giftedness really helps us in our service for the Lord. And using the tools in the, the right sense of that word, in the spiritual sense of that word, using the tools that God has gifted us with in his service for the edification of others and ultimately for God's glory. So we're in Romans chapter number 12. I actually need to, uh, to get there. I have my Bible marked for my uh, morning message, and I did not have Romans 13 mar- or Romans 12, excuse me, marked. Okay, there we go. So we won't go back and rehearse all of uh, the temporary gifts and the reasons we believe that they are temporary, particularly the gift of tongues and why, believe, why we believe it has ceased. But just a short uh, reminder of when spiritual gifts are received at salvation. And then the four main passages that refer to spiritual gifts. And if it helps you remember, there's 12s and 4s. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. The primary passages are Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But Ephesians 4 has a list of gifts. And then 1 Peter 4 has... uh, a few of the gifts, and summarizes the two main categories of gifts. So this is the list in Romans, and uh, you'll see there prophecy, ministry, also identified as service or serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and showing mercy. So that brings us to Romans 12, and we come down to verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts 
differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And then verse 9, let love, there again we see the, uh, the teaching on love, let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy is what that's saying. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And then we see some other practical teachings that finishes out the chapter. So we have that list there in Romans chapter number 12. And then we won't go to 1 Corinthians 12 right now and read through those verses. But in 1 Corinthians 12, we see another list. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, workings of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing the spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. But then we go a little further, because really the whole chapter is going to deal with spiritual gifts. That's the first list. And then, and I skipped it. There it is. I missed one, didn't I? There it is. Okay, second list. So first list, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, workings of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing the spirit, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And then the second list. Sorry, I think I skipped the slide there. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, Healings, working of miracles. I am looking at my notes and I went to the wrong one. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, guidance, tongues, and interpreting tongues. So those are the three longer lists. Now Ephesians 4, let's turn over to Ephesians 4 for a minute. And let's look at Ephesians 4. And then we come down to verse 11, Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Who will read for us Ephesians 4 and verse 11? Anyone want to read that? Okay, Earl's going to read Ephesians 4, 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Okay, thank you, Earl. So we see apostles, temporary gifts, no living apostles today. Prophets, again, a temporary gift with an aspect of the gift of prophecy fulfilled in the pastor-teacher in a future in Revelation 11 with the, the two prophets. Evangelists, and then literally in the original language, it's pastor-teacher. It's a hyphenated two-part word, pastor-teacher. It's really the gift is together. Now, there is a gift of teaching, but the pastor has the gift of teaching as part of his pastoral ministry apt to teach, and we'll get into some of that. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4, just very quickly, if we'll turn over to 1 Peter chapter number 4, and 1 Peter is really a summary, 1 Peter 4, but there is one gift that is lifted out of this that is a specific gift that we will eventually, Lord willing, get to, but... 1 Peter 4, dropping down to verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we're to be stewards of this gift. If any man speak, verse 11, let him speak as the oracles of God. So there are speaking gifts. Verse 11 also goes on to say, if any man minister 
let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. So there are serving gifts. There are speaking gifts that are still service, but they're primarily verbal, audible, speaking. And then there are serving gifts, which are primarily in the aspect of doing, of hands-on kind of ministry. Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then, in uh, I believe it's just a little bit uh, further back in this, there is the discerning of spirits, and I forgot to mark it in my in my uh, my notes that I have right in front of me. It's it's in my notes further down. But from this passage, there is also. Uh, the discerning of spirits that is lifted as a separate gift. We'll, we'll talk about that some more later. But the primary emphasis of 1 Peter 4 is the two categories of speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, this chart here, and I'm thankful for uh, the Rose uh, publishers that uh, I borrowed some of these slides from and, and customized, uh, but I thought they did a good job in helping chart these gifts in the different passages. Ephesians 4.11, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 12.8-10, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 12.28-30. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, there is the distinguishing between spirits. So I apologize for the, the, the mix-up there. All right. So I hope that helps categorize in the different passages. So again, we're coming back to a little bit of reminder of the purpose of spiritual gifts. And as we've just read again, members one of another. Here we are as a body of believers, a local assembly. Again, the universal church has not met. We will meet one day in glory. But right now there is the local assembly, the ecclesia. God has called us together, joined us together as a local assembly of believers. And we <clears throat> confess to a statement of faith, to a covenant, and we worship together, and we serve together, and we build each other up in Christ, and we go out and we evangelize. We'll get to some of the purposes of the gifts that are in, in specific men who are gifted to the church, and they're ministry of exhorting and building and equipping. But we see here in this list of gifts, in these lists of gifts, we, we have to be reminded again, we see here again, that God empowers his people to carry on their ministries in the church. The emphasis on the local church. Spiritual gifts aren't only about the abilities one may have, but about what God is doing in and through the church and how we fit in. And so we have to understand the emphasis throughout the New Testament is the local church, a local body of believers, where God has gifted his people to exercise their gifts for the edification of others and for the evangelization of the lost. We continue in understanding his power and our weakness. God is always active inside and outside the church. We must discern how he is active 
and ask him to empower us to be part of those activities. So what is the emphasis here? It's on willingness. It's on being available. It's on us asking God to help us identify the gifts and the abilities that he has given us, these spiritual gifts, and then to use them in the church for his glory. And it's not about us. It's about his power and about our weakness. But discerning how God is active and how I can be a part of that that work that God is doing. Again, in understanding our spiritual gifts within the church, the Apostle Paul reminds us that our calling does not depend on who we are, what we have, and what we can do. God uses for his glory what we submit to him. So, praise God if he has blessed us with a high IQ, good education, good intellect. Praise God if he's blessed you with the ability to speak or to have a quick wit and to be able to speak on your feet. Praise God if God has blessed you with organizational abilities and administrative abilities. And then there's all the other physical talents that we could describe. Praise God for those. Give God the glory for those and then yield those to him. And it's amazing what God does as we yield those to him. It's when we realize that they are from God and they are ultimately His and they're to be used for His glory, as we humbly yield those to Him, then God takes those abilities and takes those talents and with the spiritual giftedness, He can enhance and in the right way embellish those physical abilities, but also use our spiritual giftedness together with those physical and intellectual abilities and use us for his glory and for the edification of others. But it's not about us. It's not about us going out. And again, I don't want to be overly negative about social media. I don't want to be uh, known as the guy who hates social media. That's not my point. But in a social media, in a celebrity world, it's so easy to get pulled into likes and follows and subscriptions and ticket sales and top 10 charts. And that often becomes the emphasis, doesn't it? And oftentimes, it's not even about the local church. I'm so disappointed sometimes. I I listen to and I watch and I read a lot, uh, as much as I can throughout the weeks. And I'm disappointed sometimes at the number of people who have gifts and abilities, truly talented, and they're genuine, probably genuine believers. In some cases, I question. And there's nothing about the local church. It's never about serving in the local church, never about helping people be equipped to serve in their local church. I'm so thankful for good ministries. I've appreciated mission boards. This is a big deal for me as a pastor. This is the way I was taught, the way I was trained, what was mentored and in the examples I had in the ministry of mission boards that are local church oriented. The mission boards that we have are all submissive to the local church. So when something is going on, the mission board director and representatives 
should be communicating with the local church. And the funds are brought from the local church. Yes, the mission board provides a service as a parachurch ministry. But it is ultimately submitted to the local church. Institutions, colleges. I'm not saying a college has to have a local church right there on campus that all the students come to. But that college, that institution, as a Christian institution, should be submitted to a local church or to local churches and be equipping those students to serve in their local churches and should emphasize in their teaching and in their training the service of those students in their local churches. And I'm thankful that was an emphasis throughout my Bible college and seminary training. And we would have, I loved having pastors come in during the semester Sometimes they would speak in chapel, but it was very common for us to have local church pastors, not just from in the local town, but from they would fly them in from around the nation, sometimes from around the world in some cases. And for the whole week, they would be in our Greek classes, they would be in our preacher boys classes, they would teach in our other classes. And I literally, I remember Dr. Yerick from Hampton Park, we're sitting in a preacher boys class, and Dr. Yerick had just finished a missions conference, and he pulls out a packet from their missions conference and hands it out to all of us in the preacher boys class. And he walked through a missions conference with us. I loved having those guest preachers, those, those pastors come, and they would share with us, even if it was a Greek class. I mean, we're sitting there in Greek, and there's this pastor who's pulling out his Greek New Testament, and we're all feeling like... We have to be able to learn to read the Greek New Testament in order to pastor a church. You know, we're feeling all inferior sometimes. But he was explaining how his abilities in that were, were good for him in, in his ministry. But it was just neat to have that touch of the pastoral ministry in our classes, from our, our Bible classes to our pastoral studies classes to our preacher boys classes. And then at the end of the week, in our combined preacher boys class, they would take these pastors and they'd put them up on a panel and we'd have a panel forum and we would have a Q&A time. I loved those times. And uh, I got to hear men like Dr. Ennis from uh, Hamilton Square Baptist Church in the heart of downtown San Francisco. And uh, we'd been to his church. What an incredible ministry. And Dr. Ennis would explain what it was like to do ministry in one of the most liberal, wicked cities in all of the, the nation. And there'd be a Matt Record come down from New York City, and he would talk about church planting in New York City. And I got to go to his church on a mission trip and go however many floors up in a skyscraper in New York City and go to this little church of about 50, 60 people. And people are taking the subway and going 10 stories up to basically sit in what would be a studio-type apartment on, on a floor and, and meet together in a church plant. So thankful for that and the exposure to the local church. It's, it's disappointing when Christian ministries get away from the local church and they don't re recognize that they're to be submitted. Our gifts are to be exercised in submission to the Lord and in the profit of God's people in the local church. Now, the local church can have obviously parachurch ministries, institutions, etc. And we don't need to get into all the details of that. But the emphasis of spiritual gifts within the church. 
God is not limited to our personality and abilities. He often calls us to serve him and others out of our weaknesses, even to the point of emphasizing that we are weak. Sometimes we don't realize, sometimes other people see giftedness. I think this was brought up a few weeks ago. Sometimes other people see giftedness in us that we don't recognize. And they push us. I've had people like that, pastors like that. I've had other mentors in my life, parents, <laughs> other people. Sometimes I just realized that I was the one that needed to be active in serving in that ministry. You know how it is when in the ministry there's a need and we all look around to see who else is going to meet that need and we're afraid to be the one to speak up and mention that need because then what's the pastor or the leader going to say? Oh, great, you're volunteering to serve there, right? No one wants to serve in the nursery. No one wants to serve, you know, you know how those, those, those certain ministries that have their negative and there's places that we feel uncomfortable that we know we're not gifted. But there are times where God stretches us a little, doesn't he? He puts us in a place of discomfort on purpose. And maybe we don't even recognize that area of giftedness because we've never taking that tool out, so to speak, and try to use it. And God has a way of helping us through our weaknesses. Again, we look at 2 Corinthians 12.10. Paul says, obviously, written by the inspiration of God, for when I am weak, then am I strong. We must serve out of humility, dependence, and trust. God's strength shines through our weaknesses. So it's really not about us. It's about God. It's about God's glory. So we've gone through, and we'll begin looking at spiritual gifts. And we've spent time looking at the apostle, prophets. But then we see in Ephesians 4, verse number 11, I know we started in Romans 12, but if we'll go again back to Ephesians chapter number 4. And we see the gift of the evangelist. Now we are thankful for the gift of the evangelist. I remember a time where the gift of the evangelist was looked down upon as maybe not an actual gift. And uh, there was a time where I remember there was a big debate about whether the gift of the evangelist was a true gift or if it was part of another gift. I believe that the gift of the evangelist is a separate gift. Yes, there are other supplementary, complementary gifts, but I believe that God gifts men as evangelists to edify, to build up the church. Were we not blessed by Brother Mike Schrock, Evangelist Mike Schrock, back in the spring? God used him in a great way here. And we're thankful for his giftedness and how God used him. A simple definition of the gift of the evangelist. They have a gift of sharing the gospel. It is a privilege and responsibility of every believer, yes, but they have a unique ability to present the message of salvation in an exceptional way. They provide leadership to all believers to carry on their task of evangelism and inspire other believers in their walk with God. There is an inspirational aspect to their ministry. They have an encouragement and an inspirational ministry to the church to build up the believer, to encourage them, to exhort them, and to and in a sense, inspire them to evangelism and to greater service for the Lord. Questions on evangelist, the gift of the evangelist. 
questions or comments here. One of the things that I've appreciated about a good evangelist is he supports his pastor. Mike Schrock is, a, excuse me, is an evangelist, but he is a member of a local church and submits to his pastor. And then every church he goes to, he submits to that pastor and encourages that church without overstepping his boundaries. He's one of many evangelists who, I know Pastor Arrowwood and I, we would have this conversation, and Pastor Arrowwood would not have certain evangelists in our church because he said they weren't local church-oriented. They would come in and they would act like they knew better than the pastor and they knew the people better than the pastor and they would actually hurt the ministry and he'd be picking up pieces. He talked about an evangelist who came one time to his former ministry over in Ohio and he said he was picking up pieces for weeks trying to pull in people who had been hurt by this evangelist. He never would have that evangelist back. I'm thankful for good evangelists who come and they support the ministry of that pastor in Encourage those people in that local assembly. Earl? We had two evangelists come to leapfrog every other year. Uh huh. And one thing I like, just like with any pastor, is the pastor's responsibility on a regular basis to teach the word of God and feed the flock. But I always thought it was good to bring in an evangelist and just bring a different perspective to let them hear from someone else. Yep. And especially as they go on to a lot of churches. Right. Yes. And uh, so I always just uh, enjoyed and appreciated them coming just to, to share the truth, but from a little different perspective. Yes. And they often can address certain things and by the help of the Holy Spirit. Though as a pastor, the pastor may lay the foundation. It's like a parent who teach and teach and teach. They teach and teach and teach and teach and teach. And they go over things and then... Somebody else comes along, a teacher at school or a coach, and they say the exact same thing that we have said 5,000 times, and then that coach or that teacher, whoever says it, and then all of a sudden, boom, the kid realizes, oh, and then they they start doing or obeying or whatever the case may be, and the parents are like, I've told you that 5,000 times. Well, you laid the foundation. They would have never received from that teacher, that coach, whoever that was, they would have never received that had we as parents not laid the foundation. So an evangelist ought to come and complement and supplement what the pastor has already laid the foundation of. And though he may say it a different way or a different perspective or fresh and new, however, if the pastor is doing his teaching and preaching ministry properly, biblically, then that evangelist will supplement and complement that. So thank you for that, Earl. Any other questions or comments? Okay, so now we look at the pastor-teacher. And again, in the original language, this is a combined word. Now, we'll look at, I didn't switch it. We'll look at the pastor-teacher, first of all, traditionally, as the ministry of the pastor shepherding, and it's closely connected to that of teaching. In addition to caring for the members of each church, the other crucial role of pastors is to explain biblical teachings to believers. And 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2 says, that one of the pastoral qualifications is apt to teach. If a pastor cannot get up in front of a group of people and explain the word of God, cannot teach and preach with some measure of ability, he probably doesn't belong in the ministry. 
Now, I am not an eloquent speaker. I am not a great speaker by any stretch of the imagination. I am not gifted in homiletics. I'm not. There are so many other pastors who are far greater, far greater preachers and teachers than I am. But I love preaching and teaching. And it was clear to me as I sensed God's call that if I did not learn how to preach and how to teach and did not develop that gift, and if other people weren't coming to me and saying, you have ability, not out of pride and patting myself on the head or patting, you know, patting myself on the shoulder or not out of pride, but I'm thankful for my youth pastor who sat me down in his office one day and he said, it seems that the Lord is calling you into the ministry. You have what appears to be God's hand on your life for preaching and teaching. I'm thankful for saints in the churches who have come to me through the years and have said, sometimes with a little bit of criticism, sometimes with just a positive word of encouragement, and those were assurances that God was helping me in knowing that this was the gift and the call that he had placed upon my life. I have personally struggled when I was on a, um, what's the, how was I just lost it, um, but uh, ordination council, I lost the word. I was on an ordination council one time, and this man that we were evaluating, he, he, he couldn't preach, he couldn't teach. I mean, I don't mean to be critical, but it was so bad. I had a friend of mine who described it this way. When he got up to preach and teach, he made your ears bleed. He was so boring. <laughs> That's just the way a friend of mine, that's always stuck with me. I would hope to think that a man who realizes that he's not being received because he doesn't have the ability then that he would recognize that maybe that is not his gift and his call. Okay, Not everybody has to be as eloquent as some of these big-name speakers. But I also have to say this. Just because a man has great speaking ability, very eloquent, very persuasive, very inspirational, doesn't mean that he is expositing the Word of God, exegeting the Word of God, and expounding the work of God in such an exhorting way that he is able to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. There's extremes on both ends. Because there are some so-called preachers out there, Bible preachers and teachers out there, who are nothing but inspirational speakers. Very eloquent. They can give you 12 points to be a millionaire, and 10 points to be a good leader, and they can wow you, they can knock your socks off with their speaking ability. But they are not necessarily, they may, but let's look at the pastoral qualifications, and let's see, is there in their life, are there the qualifications? Are they expounding, are they expositing the Word of God? We'll get into the gift of teaching later, but the pastor-teacher He's a pastor, he's a shepherd, he preaches the word, but he has an app to teach where he can explain and exposit and expound and exegete the word of God in such a way that people can receive. Doesn't mean he has to be to have the, have the best speaking ability, but he has been gifted with that ability to explain and to give instruction 
from the Word of God in an understandable way that people can receive it. Questions or comments before we move to the next slide on this gift? Okay, a little bit further explanation. Whoops, went too far. We're going to combine now a little bit the gift of teaching with the pastor-teacher. Romans 12, 7 references the gift of teaching. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29. Again, I'm not here to try to exalt myself in any way. But I believe that I have been gifted with the call of God to be a pastor, an under-shepherd. And I also believe God has given me the gift of teaching. Combined in that, 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 that giftedness. There are some people who are not called to shepherd a flock as pastors, but they do have the gift of teaching. So let's think about this for a minute. The ability to clearly explain and interpret God's word beyond giving information, teaching allows people to deepen their relationship with God, and teaching equips believers to be aware of false teachings that they might encounter. That is a primary role for a pastor I understand in today's world, pastors are to be executive VPs. They're to be great marketers of their ministry. I understand that in today's world, a lot of these young guys are coming out of Bible college and seminary, and they've been taught how to be CEOs. They've, taught, they've been taught how to be executives. But that's not what we see in Scripture. When the elders came out to Paul as he's going back to Jerusalem, he says, feed the flock of God. He, cons- he says, consider yourself. And he talks about uh, making sure that uh, we are carefully examining ourselves, but he talks about feeding the flock of God. He tells Timothy and Titus about preaching the word, instant in season and out of season. The deacons were brought along to support the, the apostles. Why? So that the apostles could do what? give themselves to preaching or teaching and prayer to the ministry, okay? So, all that being said, these are the primary roles of the pastor in not just giving information, but helping people deepen their relationship with God, explaining and interpreting God's word, and equipping believers. Ephesians 4 and verse 12. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. For what? Verse 12 of Ephesians 4. For the perfecting of the saints. The maturing of believers. For the work of the ministry. So he is to be working in the ministry. And helping believers understand their place in the work of the ministry. He is to lead it and to lead by example, but also be equipping them as they mature to do the work of the ministry and for what? The edifying of the body of Christ. Okay? So the gift of teaching then, let's expand on that a little bit more. Many people are not called as pastors, as evangelists. Obviously the apostles have have gone away. They... That was a temporary gift to the church for the foundation of the church. But there are many people that can thrive as teachers without having to become pastors. Teaching is a vital ministry of the body of Christ. If I can embarrass my wife a little bit, she has the gift of teaching. But she doesn't want to teach teenagers. (laughs) And she's not a pastorette or the first lady who goes and preaches around, you know. 
She has a ministry to women, to children. She's, I can never do what she does in a kindergarten class or a class of four-year-olds and three-year-olds. No way. I'd go into it when she was teaching four-year-olds and in and, and elementary, sometimes she would sub or she would do an entire, a couple times she did an entire semester subbing for an elementary teacher. Yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. Maybe I could go to sixth grade or fifth grade, but four-year-olds and three-year-olds, I had no clue. She would sometimes say, hey, could you step into the classroom for me for a few minutes? I go to the bathroom, I go to the office or whatever. I'd step into that classroom and I'm thankful it was nap time. <laughs> or, or, you know, they were, they were doing their little coloring pages or they had their little toys or something because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'm thankful for people who have those teaching gifts in those areas. Children's ministries and youth groups and various other ways. We're thankful for the gift of teaching. Now, within the church, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit of my heart with you, but I, when, I, when I sense that a man has a desire to teach the Word of God, I want to give him that opportunity to exercise that gift. I may not give him leadership over a whole ministry. I may only give him a certain time because I feel very responsible for this pulpit. Very responsible. But if there's a man who comes to me and says, Pastor, I, I, I want to I teach, I try to, if he's qualified, if he has a good testimony, if he has ability, I want to give that man opportunity. Now, maybe I'm missing somebody somewhere, and, and, and uh, I try to be discerning about that and exercise a good discernment with that, but Men who have the ability to teach and don't get that opportunity, they can be miserable people. They can sometimes be the worst members in the church, especially if there is a pastor who is out of the ministry, and sometimes he can be the, the, the worst church member. Um, but uh, I'm thankful we don't have that case here. That is not the case here. I'm thankful. Uh, in the previous ministries I've been in, Pastor Defoe, he was a very, very supportive pastor emeritus, former pastor. I've known some former pastors who they sit in that same church or they just live 15 minutes away and they're constantly interjecting themselves into and they're always making the, the, the pastor miserable. And uh, I've seen that before and that's dangerous. But there are gifted people who need to exercise that gift of teaching. And maybe it's once a year or twice a year. Maybe it's a, a class here or a class there. But it's important. And as I'm thankful for people who recognized God's calling in my life and gave me opportunity. I've mentioned before about a young man who was in Bible college, and as he was finishing up, I was, and us on pastoral staff, we were giving him opportunities, and he was turning us down left and right. And we finally, as a pastoral staff, we're like, I don't know if this guy's called. As far as I know, he's not in the ministry to this day. But we were looking for opportunities. We were giving him, no, I don't want to do the youth group. No, I don't want to teach junior church. No, I don't want to go to the nursing home. No, I don't want to go to the retirement home. No, I don't want to go to the mission. After you ask him about five or six times, and he says no every time, and he has an excuse, sometimes at the last minute he would text me or call me and say, oh, I can't make it tonight. <laughs> I came out of seminary, and I was looking for every rock and hole and cave I could preach in. I, I was ready to go. I mean, every opportunity that they gave me, I was trying to find a time and opportunity to preach. And he was just like, uh, I don't know. You know, so I hope that, I hope that helps. 
So we only have a few minutes left here in these gifts, um, these foundational gifts in a sense, but gifts to the church, gifted men to the church, and then in that is the gift of teaching that are not pastors in their calling, but they have that ability to teach. And again, I believe there are women who have the gift of teaching. It's just they're, they're not in a pastoral role. They're not preachers. We just talked about that a little bit in 1 Corinthians 14. And I don't have time to expand on that. I don't want to be misunderstood on that. But there is a role of teaching that women have with other women, women's ministries with children, but they are not to be in the leadership role of the church and in the preaching role of the church. Um, there are parachurch ministries that I think get out from underneath the uh, local church even, and then they have women preachers. And I think that they become disobedient to scriptures. But I don't want to get into all that, and I don't want to be uh, misunderstood on that. But the gift of teaching can be in the case of, of a woman, but in that particular, uh, that particular role within the local church to women's ministries, to women and children. Or in the teaching aspect in an educational institution, certainly. Questions, comments? Yes, Derek? Yes. Right. Right. Yes. A teacher is doing more instructing and laying out information. A pastor is reproving and rebuking as well as exhorting with long-suffering and doctrine. And it is challenging, I'll admit, it is challenging, because there are times where the reproving and the rebuking is not received well, but it's part of what it has to be done. And don't we as parents have to have tough love? There are times we have to have fire in our eyes, and we have to have a little bit of rod with love, with long-suffering, with instruction. <laughs> and the whole saying, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Well, we don't understand that completely until we're parents, and then we realize how hard it is, but it's necessary because we love them. And, and, and a pastoral ministry has some of that, whereas a teacher, it's more instructing, laying out the information, explaining. But yeah, pastoral ministry involves uh, more than just that. Anything else? Okay, we're almost out of time. We will go to this one last uh, gift here that we'll have time for today, and then we'll go on to the next ones, uh, Lord willing, next week. But Romans 12, now we'll go over to, we went through Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, pastor, teacher, evangelists included the gift of teaching. But let's look at exhortation really quickly here, Romans 12. Ah, I went to the wrong place. And we see in Romans 12, verse 8, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. What is the gift of exhortation? Okay, I believe that many times it is 
involved in the, the pastoral calling, but there are some pastors who are not particularly gifted in this way, but oftentimes it is included with a pastor. But it's the exceptional ability to encourage other people in their Christian life. Closely connected to other gifts, exhortation means that one comes alongside of someone with words of encouragement, of comfort, consolation, and counsel. We've known people like that. I think Barnabas might be an example in Scripture of an exhorter, of an encourager. He wasn't an apostle. He was a preacher, maybe more in the line of an evangelist, a missionary. But he had that gift from what we understand and what we can tell from Scripture. But aren't we thankful for people like this who are exhorters? They're encouragement. They're, they, they give good counsel. They're an encouragement to us. They are comfort. They have an exceptional ability from the Lord. Now, are all believers to have some measure of sympathy and empathy and to be an encouragement and to edify one another like an exhorter. In some ways, all of us as believers are to have some measure of exhortation. But there are some who are gifted. They have an exceptional ability in this area. Maybe someone pops into, into mind. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily have to be a pastor or an evangelist or missionary, but somebody who you have known through the years who was an encouragement to your life. It was of comfort. I, again, I think of people through the years who have been exhorters in my life who weren't pastors. Men and women who, I mean, there's uh, a couple, they're both with the Lord now. And uh, a Mary Lee. All through the years. I think of Eric Miller. Uh, many of you know Eric Miller. Eric Miller was an exhorter in my life all throughout my life and to this day. And that uh, often words of encouragement, writing me letters, sending me text messages. And I'm thankful for people like that. We can probably all name somebody, I would, I would imagine. And maybe that's something that we have not recognized or we see or we haven't been exercising like we should. But maybe it's an area where we see God has gifted us and we can develop that further and use that more for, for God's glory. Maybe it's someone who you just regularly got a card from in the mail. Um, they just know when to send that text message, when to make that phone call. Thankful for people with the gift of exhortation. Questions or comments? Yes, Brian? I know there's some overlap between the gifts and the ministry. Yes, yes. Well, I don't know if I would say that encouragement is a, a gift separately, but it would fall into the lines of maybe ministering, mercy, even in helping. <laughs> There's obviously some involvement of exhortation in that, but I don't necessarily separate encouragement as a spiritual gift separate, though they often run together. But, yeah, helping, ministering, or giving mercy, those would, oftentimes we'll see those combined. There, there is overlap. But distinguishing exhortation from encouragement, I don't know if I can do that. It seems like encouragement comes under exhortation or involved with mercy and giving as kind of part of that. Yeah, good question. Anybody else? No? Okay, well, let's close in prayer and... Uh, 
Thank you for being here early for our Sunday school hour. I hope this has been a help and encouragement to you. Lord, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for helping us and seeing these gifts and knowing them better and understanding them and how we can know and understand our gifts and use them for your glory. Bless now the service to follow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll get ready for the service to start in about 15 minutes. <laughs>